0: hey everybody welcome back welcome back to two jane does so today we're going to be discussing junko furuta and that's how i'm pronouncing her name because we butcher names here on this podcast and this episode is not going to be any different because yeah it's it's taking us across the pond to japan and just bear with us (laughs) yeah just try But, as always, before we jump in, we want to give a huge shout-out and thank you to our sponsor, Eastern Crime Zone. In the realm of true crime, any quick Google search will give you millions of articles, films, and podcasts that you should check out. Some stories are the same, with different voices behind them. You know, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Jeffrey Dahmer, and the like. We often hear more about them than we do their victims. Now, let me ask you this. Have you heard of Phoebe Hanschuk? Ernie Ibarra? Terry Neely? Well, if you haven't, you should hop over to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and check out the victim-centric podcast, Eastern Crime Zone. Hosted by Cassie Millay, you can learn new details on cases you're familiar with and hear new cases you've likely never heard of. In the most recent episode, The Nexium Cult, Cassie covers a multi-level marketing scheme turned sex cult. And the organization had been operating for nearly two decades under the guise of offering self-help deprogramming to heiresses, Hollywood actors, and powerful CEOs. No spoilers here, you have to go and give it a listen. For more information on Eastern Crime Zone, check out the Facebook page by searching for Eastern Crime Zone or pop over to their website at www.easterncrimezone.com. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your notepad, get settled in, and dive into a cassie file with Eastern chromosome. So like I said, as we got started, um, we're going to be discussing Junko Furuta, and she's known throughout Japan as the concrete-encased high school girl. And this case drew nationwide attention owing to the sheer brutality she had to endure before death found her. This is a real story that will leave you shattered. And if you saw our Facebook and Insta posts or any of our other social media platforms, you'll know that this is going to be a tough one along the lines of the Sylvia Likens case that we covered and Kellyanne Bates. So buckle up. It's going to be a rough one.
1: So in November of 1988, Junko was just a normal teenage girl. She was pretty, bright, and got good grades in her classes at Yashio Minami High School in Misato in Satayama Prefecture, Japan. Despite her good girl reputation, she was quite popular at school and seemingly had a bright future ahead of her. She did not smoke, did not drink alcohol, and did not do drugs, which was seen as a very uncool thing to do in the eyes of some of her peers. Junko had her own aspirations and dreams that she wanted to fulfill. So, she obviously had a plan for her
0: future. Right. She planned on going places. Yeah. Uh, Well, that was until she met uh, Hiroshi Miyano. Hiroshi was well known as a school bully and was involved with the new generations of the Yakuza, which is a powerful Japanese organized crime syndicate. Before we go any further, we're going to give you kind of a quick load in on the Yakuza. This is not no like... Down in dirty nitty gritty, this is like a brief history of who the Yakuza are and kind of what they do. So, they're basically Japanese gangsters that have been around for over 300 years. And Yakuza is actually an umbrella term for complex groups of crime syndicates in Japan. The media and police call them. For Rokidon or violent groups, while the Yakuza prefer to be called either Gokudo, which is Extreme Path, or Ninkyo Dante, which is a chivalrous or- organization. The Yakuza are said to have originated from the outcasts of Japanese society. They were considered as the lowest social class, consisting of butchers, executioners, undertakers, and leather workers. And they are no joke. I mean, gangsters. They, they got some
1: pretty strict rules, and it's it's kind of crazy. Right. So, um, their organizations are based on the Oyaben Koban structure. <laughs> the gang members are called Koban, which means foster child, who swear allegiance and loyalty to the boss, uh, Obian, or the foster parents. Also called Kumicho, which is the family head. Their way of operating is more akin to that of a dysfunctional
0: family rather than a gang or mafia. So, Sopranos, just saying, it's a lot. It's, I mean, they are, they're mafia like. Um, they have a similar structure. And I mean, and if you look at like the mob, granted, they are kind of split up into families of people who are actually related by blood. A mob is as dysfunctional as you can get. I mean, yeah. It doesn't matter, like, if it's a uncle-nephew thing or a brother-brother thing. Like, they're very dysfunctional. Like, e- even two brothers don't cross each other. Um, like, if you're working in the waste management industry and I'm working in laundry services, I can't, like, dip into your pocket and start stealing waste management. So... I just, that's how I'm
1: I mean, yeah, doing things in it my is, head. It is, it is all about the structure of loyalty and respect. Oh, exactly. Um, an absolute loyalty is one of the most important things uh, to the Yakuza organizations, as one would expect from an actual family, too. Loyalty and the family-like structure were and are part of the appeal for new members since they are all either outcasts, abandoned by their family, or orphans, and it gives them a strong sense of belonging. For example, a ritual of the Yakuza is the yabitsum, which is finger shortening. Um, it was used as a punishment for disloyalty. And it is a form of apology where the member cuts off the tip of their left hand's little finger and presents it to the boss. It is also done when a member wishes to leave the organization, branding him forever as an ex akusa member. And I do know for a fact that, like, if you get caught stealing or something from the boss or whatever Mm -hmm. they there is no what are we going to do to you they chop fingers off they chop your hand off right and that just shows like hey this person was disrespectful you know he's a thief Mm. whatever it marks you
0: and I love how it's like they cut the tip of his left hand's little finger why could they not just say he cuts the tip of his left pinky off eh I just love it the way they write it somebody was really trying to hit that like thousand word count on their article oh heck yeah (laughs) So, the Yakuza had over 180,000 members at its heyday in the 1960s, when society still had this romantic vision of mobsters as honorable outlaws. However, the number has kept falling since the implementation of the Anti-Barokidon Act, which dissolved any organization that is likely to help its members to collectively and habitually commit illegal acts of violence. As of 2020, the huge number has fallen down to approximately 25,900 active members, and that's probably just who they can like specifically identify oh, yeah, as a member of the accused. I'm sure there's still because they're also known for having... out there specific tattoos covering their entire body. So. Right. But they also don't I was gonna include that in here, but I thought that was just breaking it down way too much. Yeah. And I mean they do cover their pretty much their entire body in tattoos, but they don't show them off. It's not something that's like, here, look at me. Right. I'm all decked out. They typically only show it to other Yakuza members. Yeah. Um so they could be like, yeah, like Pop open this top button. I'm one of you. one of you, man. (laughs) So, anyways, that was our quick rundown and uh, little units on the Yakuza. Feel free to dive more into it if you want to. It's interesting. We didn't want to, like, give you no nitty-gritty. We just kind of wanted to show you, like, Hiroshi has ties to the Yakuza. This is who the Yakuza are. This is how this fits into our story. So... Going back to the main story with Junko, according to their classmates, Hiroshi had developed somewhat of a crush on her, and uh, he was turned down, unfortunately, because Junko was just like, yeah, nah, homie, I'm not looking for a relationship. I'm focusing on my future. I got things I gotta do. But to Hiroshi, this was a slap in the face because no one ever rejected him um, because he was very well known for just saying I'm with the Yakuza. I'm with the Yakuza. Like, he used that... As power. As power to intimidate and uh, get what he wanted.
1: (sighs) Men. My God. Anyways, (laughs) a few days after she turned him down, Hiroshi and his friend Shinji Minato, Minato were hanging around a local park in Misato, preying on innocent women, unfortunately. As known, an experienced gang rapists Hiroshi and Shinji were experts at spotting easy targets. So,
0: they're off to a great start. Right, and they're obviously not part of, like, the good chapter of the Yakuza that are, like, this chivalrous organization. They are definitely part of a more violent, and I'm sure, like, since he was a younger member, because he was, like, 17, 18, mm-hmm. roughly. So, I mean, I'm sure these young kids coming up... Are probably more about the violence too.
1: And it's hard to say what they were required to do in order to move up in the gang, anyways. So, right. Um, so around eight thirty, the boys noticed Junko on her bicycle on her way home from work. Shinji kicked Junko off her bike, creating a diversion where Hiroshi stepped in, pretending to be an innocent and concerned bystander. How convenient! Um, very convenient. <laughs> After helping her up, he asked if she wanted an escort home, which Shunko accepted. However, she never made it home. Instead, Hiroshi led her to an abandoned warehouse where he told her of his Akusa connections and raped her, threatening to kill her and her family if she made a sound. He then took her to a park where Shinji and their other friends, Joe Agora and Yasushi Watanabe, were waiting. There, the other boys raped her and then smuggled her into Shinji's home in the uh, Ayasi district of Adachi, Tokyo.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of words in here. And I, I felt that, like, including, like, specific locations... Was helpful. Was helpful. So it could kind of let you, like, orient <laughs> where they would be. Bad joke. (laughs) So, though Jungo's parents called the police and reported her missing, the boys made sure they wouldn't go looking for her by forcing her to call home and say that she had run away and was staying with a friend and insist that she wasn't in danger. Jungo did exactly as she was told, ultimately stalling a manhunt that would have otherwise followed her disappearance. Whenever Shinji's parents were around, Junko was forced to pose as his girlfriend. However, they eventually began to catch wind of what was really going on, but were too afraid to intervene because of Hiroshi's Yakuza ties. Again, this is just an instance where he is using his power to affect their decision-making skills and like their ability to intervene. So, for 44 days, Shinji's parents lived in alarming ignorance of the horrors that were happening in their own home. Over the course of those 44 days, Junko was kept naked and humiliated. She was raped over 400 times by Hiroshi and his friends, as well as other boys they invited over and encouraged to hurt her. And it's estimated that over 100 men were believed to have raped her, and at one point, she was raped by 12 men in one day. They would insert iron bars, scissors, skewers, fireworks, which they would light, and even a like recently lit light bulb into her vagina and anus, and this just absolutely destroyed and wrecked her internal anatomy. To no the point, shit. Yeah, to the point where she, which we'll cover it later, it it got to a point where she was not even able to go to the bathroom, like correctly.
1: Oh my god, it's,
0: it's terrible. I no. told you guys, buckle up. This one, it's rough. Like even doing the research, I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to oh do it. God.
1: So I mean, hang on. Let's let's do some math real quick. Let's do. Just do... that means that she was getting raped at least. I mean, at least
0: nine times a day. Mm-hmm. To be raped at least 400 times yes yeah yeah it's awful it's awful and one of those days at least they said it was 12 it's that's it's insanity
1: um
0: it's i just can't imagine i just can't imagine being someone who wants to do that to somebody like
1: i I mean you gotta think like there comes to a point where i mean it's just like you said it destroyed everything. What yeah. is there left to, I'm sorry, stick your fucking dick in, to rape? Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. It's awful. <sighs> so, when they weren't raping her, the boys forced her to do terrible things like eat live cockroaches, masturbate in front of them, and drink her own urine. Her body is still very much alive Was hung from the ceiling and beaten with golf clubs, bamboo sticks, and iron rods. Her eyelids and genitals were burned with cigarettes, lighters, and hot wax. So, it didn't just stop. She Mm -mm. didn't get no breaks. No. They just continued.
0: For, like I said, for 44 days, it was just nonstop torture and just horrors for her.
1: I can't imagine. So, she could not breathe through her nose due to the accumulation of blood. Her traumatized internal organs refused to accept what little food and water she was given. So, when she tried to drink, she instantly vomited, which kept her dehydrated. It also agitated the boys, who punished her with more beatings for soiling the carpet.
0: Which, again, just takes me back to how insane it is that someone could, like, want to do this to somebody else because... That carpet's gonna be ruined anyway, just from the way they were treating her.
1: Yeah. You know? But you're worried about, about vomit.
0: Yeah, you're worried about her body having some kind of natural reaction to the trauma that it's been put through. Um And it just gets it just continues to get worse. And what's
1: even crazy to me is how how can you find at least a hundred people that are that are willing to do this? Mm-hmm. Like why didn't anybody step up and be like, "Yo, what you doing? It's fucked up." And and it very well could be just because he's like, "Hmm, I,
0: mean, I got
1: a Kusa Yeah, exactly. Here. I'm with the
0: Akiza. You better back it up because this is my you know dog and pony show. And I mean, again, you're gonna hear me say it a lot. Like going back to Sylvia Likens, she had a whole neighborhood. Yeah, they didn't of have kids that were willing to just come over and torture her just demolish her
1: yeah
0: and nobody said anything and when they did it was never followed through properly which we'll get to that too so Jugo had severe leg burns and badly bruised muscles and these left her unable to walk this was after 20 days um she couldn't handle anything with her hands anymore because her bones were smashed with weights and her fingernails were cracked after 30 days, she could not urinate or defecate properly due to damage to internal organs from the insertion of the foreign objects and burns from cigarettes and lighters. Her hands and feet were so damaged that it took her over an hour to crawl downstairs to the bathroom, which I couldn't imagine, like, my body saying, I need to go.
1: And it takes you forever
0: to get there, and then you, you can't even go. Yeah. That, ugh. Uh. Her eardrums were also damaged and her brain size was reduced, which I talked to my husband and like, I didn't realize like, I mean, I know your brain is mostly made up of like water and fluids and things like that. But like if you're severely dehydrated and like the areas traumatized, your brain can reduce in size. And I'd never heard of that before in my life and, until I started reading this. Um, so twice the police were alerted to Jimco's condition and twice they failed to intervene. The first time, a boy who had been invited over to the Monado house by Hiroshi went home after seeing Junko and told his brother about what was happening. The brother then went and told his parents about what was going on, and they contacted the police. The police showed up, but were assured by the Monado family that there was no girl even inside the home. The answer was obviously satisfactory enough for police because they never came back. The second time, it was Junko herself who called, but before she was able to say anything, the boys discovered her. And when the police called back, Hiroshi assured them it had been a mistake. And as punishment for calling the police, the boys doused Junko's legs in lighter fluid and set her on fire.
1: Oh, my God. Again. It just keeps this- going from one extreme... To an even worse extreme. Yes,
0: and, like, when you hear, because we're getting ready to um, finally come to the end of her torture, which was probably the, you know, just like we said in Sylvia Likens' case, the greatest act of of mercy they could have shown her was, like, actually just putting her out of her misery. Um, But when you hear about why they just killed her, it's going to be even worse. So, during all of this, Junko had begged the boys several times just to kill her and be done with it. Yeah, um, I would be begging too. So her I'm body was useless that. at that. Like at that point, she couldn't go anywhere. She couldn't do anything. There was no escape. And I mean, it's like a really low place for when you just feel hopeless and, and so like I mean, just end it. So on January the fourth, nineteen eighty nine. The boys became enraged when she beat them at a game of Mahjong Solitaire. Mahjong Solitaire, you heard that correctly. They became so angry that she beat them at a game. So they tortured her and beat her with an iron barbell and again set her legs plus her arms and her face and her stomach on fire after pouring lighter fluid on them. Before, it was just her legs. Now, it's the entirety of her body. Being already severely beaten, dehydrated, and malnourished, she fell into a shock and finally died. Um, What I was going to say earlier
1: is, you know, it's, it's hard to say if she were to have gotten the help if she would have even survived then. So, even mm-hmm. then, just being killed would have been more merciful than her trying to recover, possibly, if right. that was even a thing. And, obviously, this is the stupidest
0: fucking reason to kill somebody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm mad because you beat me at Mahjong. I'm gonna finally kill you now. Like... It's... And, I mean... The fact that they kill her over a game of Mahjong, that just speaks to the maturity of these boys, too. And I keep calling them boys because that's exactly what they are. They, I think they were all between, like, 16 and 18. And, I mean, I just, ugh, I can't. Scared of being charged with murder, the boys wrapped
1: her body in blankets and shoved her into a travel bag. Then dumped her body into a 55-gallon drum, filling it with concrete before disposing of it, in Koto, Tokyo. During her captivity, Junko had mentioned that she regretted not being able to watch the final episode of Tombow, which is Dragonfly. Hiroshi found the videotape of the episode and placed it in the travel bag also. He later explained it was not because he pitied her, but because he did not want her to return as a ghost and haunt him. Boy, I wish she would. I wish she would have come back and haunted you. Right. But, I mean, even that wouldn't be good
0: enough. No. But still. No, and you'll see, it's, these boys are just violent. Like, there's no other way to put it. Um, This is not an isolated incident. Um, When they first got Junko and knocked her off her bike, we told you that they were pretty well-experienced gang rapists. So that already tells you that they are not new to being violent. And the 44 days, yeah, the 44 days they had Junko, you know, that might have been their first time murdering somebody and torturing somebody, but um, that just speaks to the level of violence they're capable of. And it doesn't change even after they dump... Uh, Junko's body in Koto. So, two weeks later, the police arrested Hiroshi and Joe on a separate gang rape charge. And during Hiroshi's interrogation, the police mentioned an open murder investigation. He thought that it was the murder of Junko and that Joe must have confessed. So Hiroshi ends up telling the police where they could find Junko's body. The police found the drum containing her body the following day and she was identified uh, via fingerprints. And on April 1st, 1989, Joe was arrested for a separate sexual assault and subsequently re-arrested for Junko's murder. The arrest of Yasushi, Sunji, and Hiroshi then followed. Um, Several other accomplices who participated in Junko's abuse were officially identified, including Tetsuo Nakamura and Koichi Ohara, who are charged with rape after their DNA was found on and inside her body. Damn. Yeah. So, it it, it was really like at least five. At least five people that they arrested um, in relation to her torture and murder. So. And I'm sure there was more. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. If she was raped by at least 12 in one day, yeah. There's at least seven people out there that they didn't get. There's no justice for this poor girl. No. uh, I mean,
1: no. There isn't. In the end, the murder case, which the police had been referring to, had been unrelated to Junko, and Hiroshi had unknowingly turned himself in. Ha ha. Serves you right. The identities of the boys were sealed by the court since they were all juveniles at the time of the crime. However... Journalists from the Shukan Bunshun magazine discovered their identities and published them. Ha ha. You get to, uh, This
0: shit gives me goosebumps because, hell yes, to this magazine. Fuck those kids. Yeah, they
1: were pretty much like, the world
0: deserves to know who the fuck you are. Exactly. We're gonna publish it. We don't care. Exactly. And their statement was, given the severity of the crime... The accused do not deserve to have their right to anonymity upheld. Good, because Screw they do Screw you. I do not care that you're a minor. I do not care. You are a shitty human being, and the world deserves to know who you are. Yep. And that's exactly why I didn't change any of the names. Like, when I came across the original um, names, I started getting confused because some of their names were changed like it would be like joe something else or shinji something else or like the first and last names completely were changed and then i came across that where this Shukan bunshin magazine found their real identities and was like nah y'all don't deserve jack shit yeah we ain't playing this game we're gonna know who you are
1: good because the world deserves to know what they did exactly Ugh. So all four boys pled guilty to committing bodily injury that resulted in death, rather than murder. Hiroshi, the ringleader, was sentenced to 17 years in prison. He appealed his sentence, but Tokyo High Court Judge Ryuji Yanasi sentenced him to an additional three years in prison. <laughs> Which just cracks me up. He's just like it's so funny. Nah, man. Oh my gosh. He was 18 at the time of the murder, so he pretty much sent. The rest of his early age in prison.
0: Right. And apparently, like, 20 years is kind of a big deal in Japan. So, like, the way I understood it, it was like 20 years was kind of like a life sentence. Which, to me, is like, eh. uh, I mean, they have different cultures and stuff, so... Because, like, here, it's like, life is, like, you're going to die in prison. is mm-hmm. no, you know, you might get life with a chance of parole, but most of the time it's like, you're going to die here. Like, sorry. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: So Hiroshi's mother reportedly paid 50 million yen, which is $425,000 in, in American money, in compensation as ordered by the civil court after selling their family home. Hiroshi was denied parole in 2004, and between 2004 and 2013, he was released because in January of 2013, he was rearrested for fraud.
0: Yeah, I never did get like a a final date of like when he was released, but that's why I just gave you the the, the gap of what, nine years between 2004 and 2013. It was at some point he was released because he he did get rearrested.
1: Uh, but, unfortunately, due to
0: insufficient evidence, he was released without charge soon after. Shinji Minato, who originally received a four- to six-year sentence, was resentenced to five- to nine years by Judge Ryuji Yanasi upon appeal. He was 16 at the time of the murder. Shinji's parents and brother were not charged, which is insanity. Maybe not the brother, because the brother never gave an age or anything, but his parents... Should have been charged because this was all going on under their roof. Yeah, I mean, how do you not know that's going on? No, they had to have known. They had because to. Because when the police came, they were like, there's not a girl here. So, they played a part in her death because if they yeah. would have let the police in that day, she, it could have. Could have, she could have possibly lived. Yeah. So, they should have been charged. But, you know, I don't get paid to make big decisions. Um... Junko's parents were dismayed by the sentences received by their daughter's killers and they actually won a civil suit against Shinji's parents, whose home the crimes were committed in. After his release, Shinji moved in with his mother. However, in 2018, he was arrested again for attempted murder after beating a 32-year-old man with a metal rod and slashing his throat with a knife. Jesus! Like, I'm did you not you get they're... enough the first go-around? Exactly. Around? Exactly. These, these kids are... They're just violent. They're violent without reason. Um, (sighs) Yasushi Watanabe, he was originally sentenced to three to four years in prison, received an upgraded sentence of five to seven years. He was 17 at the time of the murder, and I didn't really find anything else about him. Hmm.
1: Joe Agora served eight years in a juvenile prison before he was released in 2004. He was 17 at the time of the murder. He is said to have boasted about his role in Junko's kidnapping, rape, and torture. What a fucking shitty person. In July of 2004, he was arrested for assaulting Takatoshi Asono, an acquaintance he thought his girlfriend may have been involved with.
0: What? I just think that's funny. You're just gonna, like, beat the shit out of somebody who may or may not have had anything one way or the other to do with your girlfriend, it's just like this is it. He's got some jealousy issues. Well he's he's got a lot of fucking issues. First of all,
1: you gonna, you're gonna you gonna just be like, yeah man, I, I did all these things to this girl and now she fucking dead. Mm-hmm. Like how are you gonna how are you gonna just banter about that? Oh yeah. So Ugh.
0: had the case been heard elsewhere or had the boys just been one or two years older they would have been dealt capital punishments. I think they should have had capital punishments to begin with. A lot of people think that the accuser obviously had something to do with their lesson sentences, but no one knows for sure. Uh, And like we've said, it's really sad to know that very little justice has been done to those responsible for Junko's brutal murder. Her funeral was held on April 2nd, 1989, and one of her friend's memorial addresses stated... Joom welcome back. I have never imagined that we would see you again in this way. You must have been in so much pain, so much suffering. We will never forget you. I have heard that the principal has presented you with a graduation certificate, so we graduated together, all of us. Joom Chan, there is no more pain, no more suffering. Please rest in peace. Oh my God, that all is so over sad. All bumps.
1: Ugh. Oh, we graduated together. Oh, my God. Yes, it's terrible. I'm, I really do. I have goosebumps all over. Ugh. Oh, that's... Ugh. Oh, that's a really sweet thing to say, though. So, Junko's intended future employer presented her parents with the uniform she would have worn and the position she had accepted. The uniform was placed in her casket... At her graduation, her school principal presented her a high school diploma, which was given to her parents. The location near where Junko's body was discovered has been developed since and is now Wakusu Park. Do you know anything
0: about Sit Park, by chance? Is it just a park? I yeah. don't. It's just, it's, to my knowledge, it's just a park. And that's, I, that's I, I was though. looking up, like, you know, because we kind of like to let everybody know, like, where she was laid to rest. Like, where. But I couldn't find anything definitive hmm. except the one result that kept coming up saying that she was buried in Texas. Yeah, that's the, she's giving me this really funny look right now. That's exactly what I thought. That makes no sense. That makes no sense for you to... Um, you No, know, it just doesn't make sense.
1: Well, either way, I think... Yes, she... I mean, that's some fucking horrible shit and they all deserve more than what... They got. Oh, exactly. I mean, they didn't deserve just some 20 years. Yeah. No. Because yeah. they obviously didn't stop what they were doing to begin with.
0: Right. Like, Hiyoshi? Was it Hiyoshi? nope. it was Hiroshi. Hmm. Um, Hiroshi definitely should have got the worst of it because I do think he was the ringleader because he's the one that got butt hurt because she didn't want anything to do with him. hmm Um, but by all accounts, she was a good girl that was planning to go places and she didn't have time for no wannabe thug and I don't blame her. But just because somebody tells you no doesn't mean that you have the right to take their dignity and take their life. And that makes him a shitty person. And he should have been... He should have gotten a capital punishment. Yep. Um, And the rest definitely should have gotten more than like eight or nine years.
1: Absolutely.
0: And I don't think that it should have been in a juvenile facility. Regardless, 17, if you can drive, if you can do all that other stuff, you know full well the extent of what you're doing.
1: I mean, they obviously thought they were pretty pretty big adults Mm -hmm. to begin with to be doing all this stuff Mm -hmm. in the first place. So, why not try them as adults? Right. And, so, you know, I really don't think that she was... She might have been the first person they, that they killed. But I don't think at all that that was the first time, like, his first rodeo. No. Period.
0: Like I said, I think they were violent um, individuals all the way up to Junko's murder. And, and it didn't stop after they were released.
1: No. And, you know, it's, it's sad to think However many people before her mm-hmm. went through that, maybe similar things, and never stood up. You know, never stood up and said anything to anybody. Right. I, and and they should have. I mean, I know yeah, it's scary, it's easier
0: said than, whatever, but... And it just makes me wonder, like, how many, like, they're dealing with this trauma that they've been through, and then they see... You know, Hiroshi, Shinji, Joe, Yasushi, they see their names attached to Junko's murder. And now they've even, like, have, like, a deepened level of trauma because they might have some kind of survivor's guilt. Like, why did I make it, but she didn't? Right. Uh, what made me so different than her? That Or, you know, that could have been me. Um, at the end of the day, this is just a super, super sad, super heavy case. And it sucks that there was never any justice uh, done for Jinko. This should not happen to people. No, it shouldn't. (sighs) It's not how you treat a human being. Everybody take a deep breath. Release. (sighs) As always, stay safe. Don't die. And if you think somebody's a thug, probably just go on at least one date with them and then say, I don't know, I was weirded out, but then, like, get a security detail. Okay, bye. Later.